0: Welcome, all my friends, everyone interested in this ancient text and the book of Exodus. We are going to be exploring the whole book of Exodus, and to do that, we're going to establish kind of like an introduction today in this episode and go through chapter one, but we're also going to be including other texts other than just the Bible to kind of help give us a full picture of what was going on then what the other cultures kind of thought about what was contributing to going on in Exodus, some Jewish thoughts, the book of Enoch, and a guy named Dr. Mike Heiser has some really interesting thoughts on some things that contributed to what was going on. So there's going to be links in the description if you're watching on YouTube. To go check out those books, you can support this channel, like, share with your friends we are not going on this journey alone. Bible's about to get real. We might get a little bit colorful, so buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. Okay, so before we get into the book of Exodus, let's take a step back and get some like framework. Again, like I said, we're going to be using some extra biblical sources to help fill in the gaps here. If we go back to Genesis chapter 11, anybody remember what was in that chapter? Yes, who somebody said it, the Tower of Babel. We didn't really unpack this or get into it, but there's something else going on behind the scenes when all these people come together and try to build this ziggurat to heaven. You know, a lot of people say, well, how did people have the the technology to build the ark or the pyramids or a tower that reached the heavens? And some extra biblical sources, the book of Enoch being one of them, suggests that before God made people, God made these spiritual beings. And we see that in the Bible, angels, demons, we give them some different names, but they were unhappy that God wanted to make People, a part of his family so they rebelled against god and they brought as many people in rebellion with them as possible so there's these spiritual beings in rebellion against god yahweh god the one true god leading people giving them secret knowledge how to build all these wild crazy contraptions and and they in the tower of babel they kind of come together and it's like okay we need to step in right yahweh god says i need to put an end to this And so we see that the nations divide by language. But if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse eight, it says it almost alludes to that dividing that God also divided the sons of God, which is a reference to these spiritual beings that God created and many of them in rebellion against God and he divided them into the different parts of the nations in the world as well like they were getting together causing too much trouble i'm going to have to separate you everybody go to your room and so he separates these spiritual beings in rebellion against yahweh god to be uh, just you know staying within each nation group that has now been divided by language they become the gods that these people group these people groups worship and and continue to rebel against Yahweh God by following after these gods, and the nations just you know surge and writhe with wickedness and vileness and, and increased rebellion against the one true God Yahweh, following after these other gods. And God is surveying just this dark, depraved, broken world, and who is there that even cares about Yahweh God anymore? And as we went through the book of Genesis, you remember God surveyed and he said, hang on, there's someone who just isn't convinced by these gods, these little gods that these nations are worshiping. There's someone over there in Ur of the Chaldeans who just says, I don't know, this isn't quite cutting it for me. And so God reaches down and he picks out Abram and he says, hey, Abram, there is a true God. That's me. How about you and I actually set in in course in motion this this course of action to create a new nation, a people group that is unlike all of these other dark cultures and these civilizations where just depravity runs rampant. How about you and I start a holy society? And and for basic holy means unlike anything else okay so that's the definition that we're going to go with here at dumb christian god says i'm going to make a holy nation a nation unlike any of the other nations in the world this nation is going to follow the one true god yahweh and you know god knows that they're going to wrestle with their own rebellion that's our human nature but he says abraham how about let's do this abraham says okay that's great but me and my wife we can't have kids god says even better I promise I'll give you a kid since you can't do it on your own. That just is going to amplify how great I am as God, which, by the way, God is stinking amazing. And so God gives Abraham a kid, Isaac. This is the child of promise that God says we're going to make a holy nation From your descendants this kid abraham also had other kids which is going to play into some things that we're going to have to unpack and wrestle with as we continue through the book of exodus one of them in particular being a child named midian so this is a child of abraham who was raised by this god fearing man who was called a friend of god he learned about god and he went off and cultivated his own culture in society but he had a background and a knowledge of Yahweh God. So put a pin in that cuz I think we're actually going to get to that in, in next in the next chapter. But in essence, the the focal point is Isaac. All of Abraham's kids are educated in Yahweh God, but Isaac is the one through whom God is going to build a nation of holy people, set apart totally different to everyone else in the world. Isaac has twins, Jacob and Esau. God says, I'm going to use Jacob. We're going to keep going down this line. I'm going to fine tune, refine, and we're going to use Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was named Joseph. All this is in Genesis. Go back and watch it. Check it out. Joseph winds up in Egypt just in time to help Pharaoh save the world right before a global famine hits and and just decimates every culture in every society well what ends up happening is joseph brings his dad and his family to egypt they're actually staying in like a suburb it's called goshen like a suburb of egypt you know just outside the city limits proper and at first the reason why the um the israelites because they're now called israelites jacob's name was changed to israel so his 12 sons were the 12 tribes of israel they they where was i going with this Oh, the original reason why the Israelites were kind of banished to the outskirts of town was because they raised flocks and herds for food. And this, the Bible tells us this was an abomination to the Egyptians. They had a very different diet and they said, why don't you keep your gross, weird foods over there and, and we'll stay over here. You guys keep to yourselves, we'll keep to ourselves. And, you know, this gets a little bit tricky because it's like, hang on, I thought God said that he was going to build a nation in the land of Canaan. Why are they in Egypt? Well, Joseph tells us at the end of Genesis, God used this weird chain of events to save the people, the descendants of Abraham, for the purpose of creating a society that isn't just going to be very different from the rest of the world, but it's actually going to be a blessing to the whole world. Spoiler alert, Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come through this nation okay so at first that's that's the dividing line you guys raise flocks we're not we would rather you not be a part of us and what ends up happening is they settle in the land of egypt and after the famine's done instead of going back to canaan where god told them to go well where god promised he would build the nation they settle in egypt It's a little bit difficult. Some scholars are kind of torn. Were they supposed to stay? And we'll get into why here in a little bit. But for whatever reason, they stay in Egypt. Now, God had warned Abraham beforehand. He said, hey, your descendants that I'm going to use to build a nation will be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So God gave Abraham a heads up, a warning, that somehow is going to have trickled down, you know, word of mouth, sitting around the campfire, telling stories about creation and Noah and the flood and and all this stuff. Somewhere in the mix, we're also going to be slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Well, sure enough, here it is. They're in Egypt. They settle down. And after the famine dissipates, the Egyptians start to look over at the Israelites and think, why don't we just kind of figure out how to assimilate assimilate them into our culture they you know they need to stay over there but we need to integrate them because they're actually growing in numbers and and we need to figure out how we can be one nation Um, otherwise there's a real strong division here and that can be problematic however There's this very strong heritage in the Israelites. They say, no, we can't be like any of the other nations. You Egyptians have your gods, right? The sons of God in rebellion against God, and they're worshiped as gods we're not going to have anything to do with that. We're supposed to be holy, different, unique, set apart from everything else. And so the Egyptians actually go from you guys are disgusting shepherds and and flock tenders to being really offended. Like, well screw you guys. Uh why don't you just stay over there, uh, you know, whatever. Worship your gods and we won't have anything to do with you. And and good luck trying to buy some you know leaks from our county market or whatever our farmers market every saturday first saturday of every month you're not welcome okay well the israelites begin to grow in huge leaps and bounds the israelite family which is a number uh, about 70 people at the end of genesis show up move into egypt settle down Over the course of the next 400 years, some scholars estimate that the number of that nation people group grew to over 2 million people. We don't know the exact numbers, but that's some estimations that they're coming up with. And so as the Israelites begin to grow in number, they're not, they they move from disgusted to offended to afraid. Oh, shit. They might actually be stronger than us. They might overthrow us. Let's figure out how to control them. And so systematically, bit by bit, slowly, the Egyptians, you know, say, hey, well, you don't necessarily need to worship our gods and participate in our festivals, but you definitely need to contribute to the, uh, you know, the GOP, the gross national, whatever, you got to contribute to our, our, our the nation's production value so grow these crops build these buildings and and contribute well they began to grow even more so they began to add more work to their to this people group slowly systematically to the point where they ended up being subjugated slaves to egypt now this gets really interesting because many scholars say if israel had stayed in the land of canaan where there are lots of other tribes lots of uh not huge tribes but growing tribes if israel tried to become a massive powerhouse nation in the land of canaan they would have been wiped out before they had gotten very big the instant they posed a threat to any one of these other nations they would have been wiped out but the thing is as slaves to egypt They are actually a price, a valuable commodity to the Egyptians. They become a precious value. They say, wow, these people do all the work for us. And they end up protecting the Israelites and actually giving them a place to safely grow from a small family tribe to a burgeoning nation of Israelites. Now, this is where we start to get into the book of Exodus in the Bible. Uh, They see that they're growing out of control. Pharaoh says, uh, we're we're getting pretty close to that 400 year mark at this point. Pharaoh says, I need to put some population boundaries because this is getting out of hand. They're becoming so big in number that we're actually starting to lose control of them. So let's put some parameters on birth birth birthing on on them allowing them to have kids and so pharaoh calls into his office the hebrew midwives or the israelite midwives now this is a really interesting um, encounter here because it says that pharaoh has like a direct conversation with the midwives there's no egyptian hieroglyph for midwife but we do see Pictographs of goddesses acting as midwives, helping royal women give birth to pharaohs. So a midwife is considered almost like this divine connection, or they are considered to have almost this divine connection. So that's why Pharaoh has like a direct conversation with these midwives, and he says, "All right, a midwife, by the way, is is someone who." aids or assists in the birthing process so mama is pregnant midwives come in you know breathe breathe that whole i i don't i've never done it but you know that kind of thing push push heave ho so pharaoh says to the midwives What I want you to do is while you're there helping them give birth, what I want you to do is as soon as the baby comes out, if it's a boy, I want you to kill it before anyone else sees the baby, before you give it to the mother, as soon as it comes out. If it's a boy, kill it. Now I don't want you to do this, in, in, you know, in front of everybody. Do it secretively because once people start to get whiff of the fact that I'm trying to wipe out all the boys, you know, we could have a problem on our hands. Somebody might start a rebellion, and, and we can't let that happen. So let's keep this under the table, shall we? Present it. Present baby boys to their mothers as stillborn. That's the idea here. Now there's a few things that are actually happening with why Pharaoh says you know, he doesn't just say, let's kill a number of babies. He says, let's kill all the boys. There's a few reasons why. One of the reasons is because, um, men are a threat, right? More, the more men there are, the more, you know, testosterone, the more likely they're going to get together and and unite and, uh, rebel against the powers that be. And, And if there's enough men, strong enough men, they just might succeed. Another reason is because female slaves are a little more versatile in their function as slaves. They would be used as sex objects. They could be used as house servants. They could be used also as physical labor. um, They could be used as entertainment. So female slaves serve as a much more versatile product, I guess. But then there's this underlying motivation that i don't even know if pharaoh realizes is is kind of what's happening i assume it's you know his connection with these spiritual beings in rebellion their gods who are actually trying to undermine God's original design and intention for the family. He called Abraham out and he said, hey, as the family, you are going to lead your family. You're going to protect your family. You're going to provide for your family. Your wife is going to birth children, nurture them, raise them together. You are going to serve a unique purpose. And this is the design, God's design and intention for the family, Well, if Pharaoh can remove the male element and emasculate the nation of Israel, feminize the nation of Israel, there's a couple things that happen. If you go back and remember Genesis chapter three, the curse after sin occurred, God said one of the consequences, one of the natural ramifications of sin is women are going to want to take the place and the roles and responsibilities that God had originally designed and given to men. And, and... Here Pharaoh is actually empowering women to subjugate and usurp the role of authority within the Israelite community by killing males. And and, and another element of this is is if we can remove the 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 assertive male responsibility that says i need to protect my family from this tyrant from this false religion from these gods who just want to abuse us and lead us into further rebellion from god if i can remove the 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 dominant responsible male maybe we can actually assimilate the women because remember the israelites are like we can't participate and in the design that god had given the family was Hey, men, you better protect your family. If we can remove that element, maybe the women will give in and assimilate into Egyptian culture. Then we can just make them part of the whole country. And we don't have to worry about this rebellion business anymore. But it says that the the midwives feared God. That's an interesting phrase. What does it mean to fear God? God. But they they it's this idea of who do you fear more, God, or Pharaoh? Who do you want on your side? Yahweh, the God who created everything, or Pharaoh whose gods are kind of hit and miss? And so they feared God, and they said, "We're not going to participate in this atrocity." So they would let the baby boys live but pharaoh knows this it gets back to pharaoh hey how come there's all these baby boys running around i thought i asked you to kill them he calls the midwives in what's happening why aren't you killing the baby boys like i said so and they lie so that's an interesting little like well is it okay to lie we're not getting into that but they lie and they say oh pharaoh These Hebrew women, these Israelite women are much stronger than your Egyptian women and they don't actually need midwives to give birth. And they end up birthing their children before we can even show up and they hold their crying baby boys and they know they're alive. There's no getting around that. We're not we can't do that. You know, we can't take it from them and kill them. And we're not there in time to, you know, a post birth abortion type situation. So Pharaoh's thinking, and he's thinking, he's like, "Well, I have got this major problem. I have to stop the population. I have to like squeeze it." And and he so this isn't in the Bible, but Jewish tradition does say that at this point Pharaoh devises like this scheme to try and make the work even more discouraging. So it says the the, the Jewish tradition says Pharaoh tries to break the spirit of the Israelite slaves. And discourage their sex drive by adding to their slave labor a bunch of menial tasks, right? Like, hey, let's move this sand dune 10 feet over to the east. Oh, actually, you know what? I think it might be more feng shui if we move it behind the sphinx, right? Just like meaningless tasks to keep them busy, to make them exhausted so they're too tired to do the horizontal mambo at the end of the day. And this is going to, like I said, Jewish tradition says this is going to last for about another five years, but something happens in that five years where the menial tasks just actually make a population boom. It explodes. They're having, they're having sex like Catholic rabbits, right? And so then during this time, Pharaoh's astrologers are watching the stars, looking for signs, you know, from the gods and the, the mystical arts. And they come up to Pharaoh and they say, "Um, Pharaoh, we've got some bad news. As we're reading the stars at night, it looks like um, there's a prophecy that says a a savior is going to be born among the Israelites. And if we don't do something now they're going to give birth to someone who is going to rescue them out of slavery. And that's not going to end well for us. You need to do something now. This almost puts Pharaoh on tilt. Like he goes a little bit crazy, like, Oh shit, what am I going to do? I have to act now. And so just as like a reactive knee jerk reaction, he says, all right, Egyptians, everyone, it's everyone to the living room, family meeting. And, and the Egyptians are, you know, they look at the Israelites and they're like, they're below us. So none of the Egyptians are volunteering to be the midwives, to go to the birthright, to get pooped and peed on and, and placenta and afterbirth sprayed all over them. They're like, oh, hell no. So instead, Pharaoh just gives all the Egyptians a general like command all right we're gonna do weekly walkthroughs of the israelite community just go through the streets and if you see any baby boys just grab them and chuck them into the nile river uh if they if they can swim and make it out okay that's great but for the most part they're either gonna drown or get chomped up by the gators or crocodiles whichever one is is there in egypt and, and that's the command. And so, you know, I don't know how often, but every week they just, they walk through, they, you know, they, get, they take turns walking through the Israelite streets and any baby boys, they grab them, chuck them in the Nile. This is any and every mother's worst nightmare. And, and this is actually the, the part, the, the first time in the Bible where we start to see that um, people and especially women, these are the main characters in the first few chapters, are taking a stand for God in defiance of this tyrannical oppression and this horrific violence against their children. And many women are trying to like fight and protect and save their children. And one woman actually manages to do just that. But we're going to have to save that for Exodus chapter 2 next time. Be sure to like this video, share it with your friends so we don't go on this journey alone. Leave us a comment. If there's something in the story that you think I missed or something you'd like to hear more of, let me know. Hit subscribe, ring the bell so you know when the next episode drops. And like I said, there are links in the description if you're on YouTube to some extra reading material that'll help give some context for some of the elements that we added into the biblical narrative. And I'll catch you later. I love you guys.